The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Expensive Words Podcast, also known as the uh, IGTV channel of literary symmetry. Today, we are going to get into Story Bootcamp Episode 4, and I'm pretty excited because uh, this is going to end the autobiographical section of Bootcamp, and then I'm going to get to tell you uh, in the next few episodes what you're going to do with those autobiographical stories. And also, if you're tuning in to watch live or you're watching the video, you can see that I got a haircut. And you're probably like, Kristen, but quarantine. My husband cut my hair, Travis, which I've been thinking I need to do like an actual origin story for our relationship episode because I talk about him all the time. And actually on Thursday, it was our 15-year wedding anniversary, which was pretty awesome. And of course, we ate Thanksgiving food, but um, yeah, we were able to have a nice time together after the kids went upstairs and played video games. They're like, we need to give mom and dad some alone time. So I appreciated that. Uh, and I want to preface what I'm about to share with you, the third part of my um, autobiographical story called Papu in Paris, that I might cry. <laughs> I didn't necessarily cry while I was writing it, but um, I probably will while I'm reading it. So if you hear the emotion in my voice or you see the tears uh, on my face, if you're watching, um, yeah, I don't apologize for that, and I want you to understand that I'm using expensive words myself because I want you to do that. So, um, all right, so the last in the last section where we left off, we were talking about how to build emotion into your story using details associated with the senses, and as I read through this last third, uh, which is a little bit longer actually than the previous two chunks, you're going to hear more of that. You're going to hear uh, different details that might make you sad, might make you happy. Um, and you have to remember that I'm writing this story for a specific person. So you're going to hear this person mentioned and you might think, this kind of feels like it's out of nowhere. But you have to understand that you're writing for a specific audience. And in this case, I'm writing for a specific audience of one person. And so that's why... It's not out of nowhere. Uh, hopefully, I, I integrated it well into the story. But you're like, well, what does this have to do with the rest? What does this have to do with the end? Um, there's a second story that maybe I'll write, maybe I won't, where uh, after my father-in-law had passed away, something with the object that I'm going to talk about happened. Uh, I'm going to mention a um, a 
piece of jewelry. And so uh, there's a second story that kind of follows up. But the person who's reading this will know that story. And um, so this is the rest of the uh, the autobiographical incident that it's taking off from the point where uh, we went into the bakery and we bought the macarons because that's what my daughter wanted because we were in Paris. And so this is what happens directly after that. And I'm going to go ahead and jump in. With an obnoxiously huge marshmallow dipped in chocolate, a box of 30 macarons, and two giant chocolate chip cookies, we left the candy shop and set out for the rest of our day. Before we went anywhere else, Alan uh, wanted to visit Notre Dame de Paris. De Paris. <laughs> this was before the fire, and the, and the Catholic cathedral was still a quiet place of wonder and French Gothic architecture. I wanted to see it, of course, but I couldn't imagine why it was first on the list of places to visit in Paris, after the beret and candy shops, of course. But as soon as we got there, I could tell Alan was on a mission. What do you think of that one? He pointed to the golden figure behind the glass. I tried to come closer, but Kati was pulling on my hand. She wanted to see the ceiling in the tall part of the building. Travis, watch the kids for a second. I need Kristen's help. Alan reached up and scratched his bald head. I moved closer to the glass. Inside was a, a delicate piece of jewelry depicting who I thought must be Mary, the mother of Christ. It's beautiful. Who is it for? April, he said. April, his oldest sister and a devout member of the Catholic Church. I think if she was here, she would have wanted to come to Notre Dame first. Should I get it? Absolutely. She's going to love it. I watched as he asked the man behind the counter to get one for him to purchase. The man wrapped it carefully in a piece of paper and placed a gold sticker at the edge of the fold to keep it closed. Thank you, Alan said. God bless you. And with that, we walked quietly through the hallowed halls of the cathedral. I took several photos of the stars that were painted on the walls as we walked toward the back. It was dark, but I wanted the photos anyway. Should we go up the stairs to the top? Travis asked. I think it will be too hard for the kids, Alan said. When they get older, maybe. You can get a beautiful view of the city from up there. We went to a late lunch and enjoyed frog's legs, uh, French onion soup, and creme brulee. It was an odd combination, but no one complained. After that, we walked along the Seine again as Timo slept in his stroller. It was, far, it was too far to go back to our rented flat for nap time. Once he woke up, we took a few touristy photos in front of the city's most memorable icon and got in line to go up onto the architectural marvel that everyone wants to interact with when they visit Paris for the first time, the Eiffel Tower. The sun had just begun to dip below the horizon of the Paris sky. As lights twinkled below in a combination of straight grid lines and swirling traffic circles, I took the best photos I could, considering how quickly the day had descended into darkness. Alan took Timo out of the stroller and held him with the girls so I could snap a quick photo. Timo's tiny brow creased with worry. It's okay, Timo. We can't fall down. Look, see? Alan tapped against the clear plastic. They have this up to keep us safe. Timo's tiny fingers reached to touch the plastic as if to test what his papu had said. It's okay, Timo. We can't fall down. Look, see? Oh, sorry. I read that part already. <laughs> uh, 
Sent, uh, Kati was also scared. We had been up to the Acropolis in Athens so many times. I hadn't thought that the height of the tower would intimidate them, but it did. And Travis, too. I took a deep breath, as if to exhale my own fear of heights. Still, I managed to snap some photos that didn't have terror-stricken faces in them. Alan was in his element. As a pilot, he definitely wasn't afraid of heights. The higher he went, the lighter his demeanor was. Senna clasped Alan's hand carefully, but didn't seem stressed. She was determined to stare out over Paris for as long as we were on the tower, a city she would later grow to hate as its memories turned sour with the flavor of grief. The true show didn't happen until we descended back below. We all, we all made collective oohs and ahs as the world-famous light show began. I think I'll just add a side note. I wouldn't add the descended and below because those are redundancies, so that's something I would edit out. Warm colored lights danced across and up and down as the tower came alive. I watched the light dance inside my children's eyes as smiles spread across each face. So you can see I used uh, I used across twice. I would change that. I watched the oh yeah see see it's the the spread across each face. Then I noticed that Alan was also looking at the kids instead of the tower. Once he had told me that he had loved taking the kids to see things he had already seen before because he could re-experience things through their eyes and appreciate the sights and places in a totally new way. You don't understand this because you have Travis and the kids, he had said. But when you travel by yourself, these wonders aren't the same. They're lonely unless you have someone to share them with. I'm so glad we can take trips like this. When the magnificence of the lights had worn off, the kids all began to complain about growly tummies. Kati had started the complaining, but I didn't mind because her stomach had been bothering her all day and I was glad she wanted to eat. Alan pulled the two giant cookies he had bought at the bakery out of his backpack and handed them to me. I broke the first one into four pieces and handed one to each child while the last one went back to Alan. Oh no! Xena looked at the cookie in horror. What's wrong? Travis asked. These aren't chocolate chip cookies, Xena said. They're filled with raisins, Kati added. Ugh, Alan said. These cookies have betrayed us, Travis said. Well, just try to eat around the raisins, I said. We don't have any other food left. I watched as Alan and the kids attempted to eat around the raisins and looked down at the second cookie as it taunted me from within its plastic wrap. What should we do with this one, I asked. Mom, can I get an Eiffel Tower keychain? Xena pointed to a blanket full of shiny, tiny Eiffel Towers that appeared in a rainbow of choices. Do you think they would trade for the cookie, Alan said. It's worth a try, Travis said. None of us are going to eat it. Let's go, Xena. Alan held one hand out for the giant cookie while he took Xena's hand in his other hand. It doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, I, I edited that sentence like three times because I was like, there's too many hands in this sentence. I will go back and fix that once I figure out how to fix it. Sometimes the best thing to do if you're feeling stuck or you're like, this, this word appears in this sentence too many times, which is if it appears twice, not on purpose, that's too many times. Uh, you just take a break and come back in like 30 minutes and you'll usually be able to figure out a way to recast uh, which is a fancy way of saying rewrite the sentence. So let's see. Nah, nah, nah. 
Oh. Senna came back, a proud look on her face and head held high. He said yes. I looked over at the man next to the blanket they had walked to. He quickly unwrapped the cookie and took a bite, a smile reaching both corners of his face as he chewed. When I looked at Alan, a similar toothless smile elevated his cheeks. What a great trade, I said. It really was, Alan agreed. Well, I think it's time to head back to our flat, Travis said. Kati and Timo are tired. Sounds good, Alan said, taking the lead. He knew exactly where the metro stop was, like always. Travis had gotten his perfect sense of direction from his father. This was the best day ever, Xena said, looking down at her shiny pink Eiffel Tower keychain. It really was, Alan said, stealing a glance my way. I'm so glad I could share it with you guys. Okay, I got through without crying. That was interesting. Nice. Okay, so... I do feel a lot of things. I mean, you can tell, like, there's one sentence in there about, you know, that the, the memory would turn sour with the taste of grief. Yeah, my my oldest daughter, who's 13 now, Xena, she still doesn't want to talk about Paris. She still doesn't want to think about Paris. She got rid of all the Paris things that we had for her room because she had been so in love with it. Because she's just not ready to think about how sad she is. And it's been, you know, it's been almost three years. And I know at some point she will be ready, but, you know, she was very close with my father-in-law. They were like best friends. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to capture this memory into a story for my my aunt, uh, my father-in-law's sister, because she really loved a photo we had because I was taking pictures all day. And uh, if you if you're a photographer then you know what it's like when you're, it's dark and you're like, oh, I don't have a flash and I'm outside. And um, so a lot of the photos were not like the best. And even the pictures outside of Notre Dame, like I had been taking pictures in and when we came back outside, I took photos and I had forgotten to adjust the um, shutter speed. So they're all super overexposed, which is a bummer. Uh, But that's just the kind of thing that happens when you're touring around trying to take nice pictures with manual settings and dealing with three children and a father-in-law and a husband and everybody's wants and needs. And so, um, yeah, you can tell, like, one of the things that I talk about in the story is taking photos. And I have those photos now, which is great because they're like little portable memories. And that's what stories are. If they're autobiographical stories, that's the purpose they serve is they're portable memories that can stand the test of time, Um, especially because, like, let's say you weren't there or you forget what it was like because um, my husband, Travis, he doesn't have the best long-term memory, and so he doesn't remember all the little details of when we were dating like I do. Like, I'll be like, do you remember that? And he's like, no. Or I might say, oh, do you remember that? And I think he's going to say no, and he's like, yes. So it just depends, but... um, That's why we write stories is because we want these little moments, whether they're fictional or nonfiction, to where we can carry them around with us and be enter into them anytime we want. So as we start the rest of the boot camp and you work on the end of your autobiographical story, I want you to focus on getting emotion in the story, getting the part of the story into it that you would want to remember, that you would want to be able to share with someone else who wasn't there. 
get the important parts. And for me, one of the important things in the story was to remember how Alan was as a person and the things that he taught us and the secret conversations we had, right? Because I was kind of his confidant. Like, he, I don't think he ever told Travis, his son, that, you know, because he had traveled with Travis. So uh, at some point when Travis and I got married, he stopped traveling with Travis. They went on a final trip to Fiji and New Zealand, and that was, like, a big deal, and that's why we had to wait to get married, actually, because of that trip. Um, but, you know, like, he told me that traveling with the kids was something so different, and I wanted to include that in the story because I knew that that detail would be something that the reader would appreciate because, remember, I have a specific reader in mind. And also, of course, I'm going to share this story with my husband and with my kids, uh, you know, when they want to interact with it. At this point, I don't think my daughter would want to interact with it because she's still too sad. And that's okay. She can, she, you know, grief is a process. It's different for everybody. And so I just wanted to add those notes of grief throughout so that you could understand why this story matters as much as it does. And these are all tricks that I'm going to teach you how to use inside of your fiction, inside of your fiction writing. Because these are the, like, when I read little moments, little snuck in meaning in fiction novels, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this author's so good. Look what they did. And I want to teach you how to do that, just like I, I'm able now to do that in my own writing. So um, the, the next part of Story Boot Camp is going to be working on fiction, and I'm going to walk you through how to get these types of details um, regarding the senses and turning them into emotional experiences into your fiction. But for right now, and I know you're excited about that, and you're like, I can't wait to start on my fiction story that I'm actually going to be able to share with uh, my readers and other people. Before we get to that, I want you to focus on making your autobiographical short story as good as you can because you're practicing and you're using real emotion and you're using expensive words. And I want to teach you how to take those expensive words and transfer them into your thinking about your fictional character, your setting, the plot, all those fun things. So your assignment, if you choose to accept, which you should because this is boot camp, right? You can't really say no, uh, is that you're going to finish your autobiographical story. And remember, if you want feedback from me, you know, the storytelling lady, uh, you can go on Instagram and post with the hashtag story bootcamp. And I'm going to look at those. But just remember what we talked about in uh, the last episode, not the disengage episode, but story bootcamp episode three. Don't include personal details online about family members who have the, the expectation to the right of privacy who are not public figures. OK, so uh, because that's you don't want to get in trouble. But if you wanted to send me uh, your autobiographical story just so that I can read it and give you some notes, you can go ahead and email me by going to expensivewords.com and clicking on the email the host button. That'll take you straight to my email and you can send me your story and I'd love to see it. I'm really excited for all of the things that the story bootcamp is going to do for your story writing. And uh, before you go, I'm going to remind you again that story filters and write this way are both out. They're both live. Um, and if you want to learn how to write like a best-selling author in just one lesson with story filters and stop doing the one thing readers hate most, go to literarysymmetry.com forward slash story filters and get your free audiobook of story filters today 
today so that you can learn which details matter to the reader, which ones they want, which ones they hate, and what you need to put into your story. Go get that. Stop doing the one thing that readers hate most. And as always, it is never too late to write the story of your heart. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great time working on your storytelling. Bye. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.